everyone. Welcome back to all my listeners. Hope you're all having a great day so far. And if it's your first time finding me, thanks so much and welcome. Welcome to episode seven of my third season. Today is Wednesday, June 16th, 2021. My name is Sanal Patel, and this is the Paint the Medical Picture podcast series. Now, I am so, so happy. It's just going to be a couple more weeks now before my second and final vaccine dose kicks in, and I too am fully vaccinated. And I keep diving into those smirk audits, and I keep sharing all my compliance tips. I'm almost done here with my focused compliance series on smirk audits. This week, I get into number 15 in hospice portfolio. And I'm honored to introduce my first very special guest in fraud, waste, and abuse, Karen Weintraub, on this episode. And I round out today's episode with a profound note on journeys from the 13th century Persian poet and scholar, Rumi. If you've checked me out on LinkedIn, you know I'm all about compliance and protecting our physicians and valued healthcare professionals when it comes to the business of medicine. I hope this week with me brings you enough to take back to your organizations, to want to dive in deeper, to use my tips and best practices to ensure success. I hope this podcast will help you boost the quality of documentation capture and improve coding accuracy as you help your providers paint the medical picture. If you like what you're hearing, go ahead and hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss another episode. Please write in a review and kindly drop me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to my podcast. I really love your support and it definitely helps my podcast series. And as always, a friendly disclaimer. Remember, I'm bringing you current healthcare industry news, my compliance tips and recommendations based on my over 10 years of experience in front office, back end, coding, and billing for multi-specialty physicians, compliance, and auditing for both ENM and surgical operative reports. These are my opinions alone and are not to be construed as legal advice. So let's get into a very special newsworthy that features my guest today, Healthcare Fraud Shield Executive VP, Karen Weintraub. I'm so excited to introduce her to all of you. Now, Karen is responsible for the design and development of the company's healthcare fraud detection software products and services. She provides subject matter expertise on system design and workflow, business rule development, data mining and fraud outlier algorithms, as well as SIU policies and procedures. Karen received her BA in criminal justice from the University of Delaware and she also holds her MA in criminal justice from Rutgers University. Karen is a certified professional coder for payers. She's also a certified professional medical auditor and an accredited healthcare fraud investigator. My goodness, that's incredible, Karen. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I also enjoy listening to your podcast as well. So it's an honor to be on it uh, with all of the other esteemed guests that you have had. So again, thank you. Wow. I love it. I love it, Karen. Thanks so much. Now, you know, we all recognize you to be an expert in data analytics and matters that are related to fraud, waste, and abuse. 
And I love that you're sharing some of your insights and things you've seen over the years on your new podcast as well. I love your podcast. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, what's been your biggest inspiration in this particular space? Um, what inspired you to create your podcast? What is your why? Sure. Um, there's, there's a lot to it, I guess. Uh, you know, one with the, with the podcast, uh, our goal and, um, not just personally as, as for me, but also as a company, we're really, uh, into education and sharing information. So we've already, um, been doing a lot of things in that area from webinars to writing newsletters and articles. And especially last year when, when COVID hit, you know, we're not able to be out on the road as much and, and doing kind of in-person teaching and, and education, wanted to come up with other ways that we could provide information and, and podcasts are another great medium to do so. And the other nice thing about podcasts is that you can make them five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, I always like to say, you know, go for a quick walk and you can listen to something that's informational, educational and entertaining all at the same time. And it's a great use of your time. So I listen to to your podcast and several other folks uh, as well. And I walk my dogs and listen to the podcast. And it's a, it's a win win for everybody. I love so, it. Absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's that's the why in the podcast. Um I, I wasn't sure. You're looking for also why and just what we do, what we do uh, Please, as well. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, there's a lot to that one. <laughs> I, <laughs> Go for I it. I think, you know, I, people that do what we do, and I know we're, we're in similar, similar, um, you know, fields. I think a lot of us have uh, similar personalities, um, kind of a little bit of a type A, you know, we have strong ethics, um, integrity, and, you know, we really just want things to be done right and just for everyone to be doing the right thing. So with healthcare fraud, there's really a few different angles to it. A lot of people think about, you know, all the money that's lost. You know, we're we're talking about, you know, billions in dollars that are potentially lost to to healthcare fraud. Um, So one aspect, of course, that most people think about is just the money that just gets thrown away in potential fraud, waste and abuse. Um, But it's not just about the money. Um, you know, there's a lot of other aspects to, to what people do who investigate or audit healthcare fraud. You know, there's also quality of care issues. Uh, oftentimes, you know, people that do what we do are, are not just looking at, um, things that are billed incorrectly, but that are, you know, abusive patterns that could have a potential harmful impact on, on members or beneficiaries. And some examples of that could be, you know, folks who maybe are being exposed to um, tests that are unnecessary. You know, what if they're getting, you know, a boatload of of, of x-rays and now being exposed to radiation levels that, that they shouldn't be? Or patients who are getting um, over-prescribed medication, um, you know, when they shouldn't be. Uh, so there was a, a little bit of a contemporary um, news in this. this. Today, I saw an article about, if you're familiar with the singer Chris Cornell, who um, had passed away, uh, they, his family just settled a lawsuit with the doctor for overprescribing um, medications. So um, that's just another area of concern. You know, it's doing the right thing uh, on, on, on all levels, and, you know, not just from a billing, but also from a quality um, and patient harm perspective. I love it. I mean, that's an incredible why, right? Doing the right thing. 
Um, absolutely. That's absolutely spot on. We want our patients, right? We are all also patients, right? We have parents, we have siblings, we have loved ones. We are all patients. So absolutely, we don't want any of that type of abuse to enter our own lives. So I love that why. Um, it's personal also. So you want to continue being um uh, having integrity in the work that you perform, not just for yourself, but for so many other people. I love it. I love it. Yep. It's not always Absolutely about agree. the money. Yeah. Love it. All right, Karen. Now, you know what? I know a little bit about your past, um, but if you could, I would love for you to be able to share some of your past and your history. I know I um, read that bio to my audience just now, and I love that CPC credential that you also have from the AAPC. Um, so I'd like to know a little bit more on that history as well. Um, and then, you know, after you obtained that CPC, what steps did you take next to help you land where you are today in this space of, you know, helping fraud, waste, and abuse go away? Sure. Uh, well, unfortunately, it hasn't gone away yet, So, but we'll get there. You're still working. You're We're still, still working, working on it. Uh, so uh, my background is a little, a uh, little bit, um, maybe not a little bit unique, although I, I have spoken to some other folks in this space that have had some similar paths. Uh, I actually started uh, with a heavy data background, and I used to work for uh, a local police department and some other um, local and state-level government agencies analyzing data. A uh, little bit different kind of data. Uh, I studied crime data, and I studied oh, wow. homicides and suicide oh, wow. data, um, and it was fascinating. I, I really learned a lot. But that really was my path to um, becoming an investigator uh, at an insurance company many, many years ago. Uh, and I used that data experience um, along, you know, with um, research experience and really fell in love with um, being able to combat fraud, waste and abuse and combined all those different skills. Uh, thinking about kind of where where things kind of took me a little bit. I was not a coder right away when I started um, investigating healthcare fraud. Uh, and in fact, this is a, a story that I often tell. Um, one of the, uh, I'm usually one of the faculty members for what we call the boot camp for the National Healthcare Anti-Fraud Association. And uh, we talk about why some of us became, became coders. I actually had a, a personal experience where I was auditing a provider's office and I was not yet a coder. Uh, although there are some differences between what maybe a coder should be required for and what's not. Um, there are things you could look at, you know, signatures, are they yes. there? Are they appropriate? You don't need to be a coder for, right. for certain elements. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I came up with my findings and the office manager uh, questioned my findings and uh, because I was not a coder. And I really took that to heart. Uh, I, I was confident in my findings, but I didn't ever want to be questioned again. Right. Uh, so I went on and, and got my coding certification. And even after that, to continue to really be involved in coding, I actually became a coding instructor at a local community college. And I did that for, for several years. Um, and even that community college, um, not, not far from where I live now, uh, they didn't even have a program around fraud, waste, and abuse. And I really felt like coding and billing, you know, really should have courses that are in combination with understanding auditing and fraud, waste, and abuse. So I went to the 
to the community college and offered to teach courses in, alongside that and started a, a program on that, um, again, a long time ago. <laughs> uh, and then took my coding even a step further, and I actually started a coding chapter that didn't exist. Um, and for anyone who's a, who's a coder knows that there's chapters in certain locations, but you could actually apply to the AAPC, the American Academy of Professional Coders, to open up a coding chapter in a geographic area where there there is not another chapter. And I had started a chapter. I ran it for several years and then passed it off. Um, so I've just always wanted to continue to learn, you know, for coding and, and to keep up to date in this field. I read the news every single day, every morning, and I just read as much as I can. You have to stay up to date on coding guidelines, on laws and regulations, on just anything that's going on in the industry. It's really a daily task. Uh, and you see that, um, the impact of that when you start seeing data, because data is changing almost daily as well. So it's really a combination of things. That's kind of a long-winded answer. So hopefully that no, was helpful. I mean, that's incredible. That's fantastic. Um, your journey has been vast already. Um, it's incredible. I, I was really leaning in and listening to you. Um, you have a lot of entrepreneurial skills also. Um, way back when to go ahead and start your own chapter to, you know, teach classes at the local level. That's just incredible because you saw a need, something was missing and you wanted to provide it. Um, I think that's incredible, incredible. And you're absolutely right. Coding, to be a coder um, is a daily job of reading, keeping up. We are well aware that, you know, the overarching changes might happen quarterly or yearly, um, but we know that there is new information Let's use the pandemic as an example. There are changes that happen all the time, um, you know, and the variables in payers are also immense. So there's so much that we have to keep up with as, you know, good certified coders, which you are. So it's incredible to hear um, the facts and similarities that we align very, very well. Um, there's so much integrity in the work that you do. And that's what I'm hearing. And I absolutely love it. I love it. So thank you. I know my listeners are going to enjoy hearing um, some of those amazing steps that you've taken to where you are today. So it's awesome. well, thank you. Happy to share. It, it's a, definitely a fun journey that uh, I, I still see happening for, for a long time. So I'm, I'm happy to be on that journey. As I'm it. sure you are. I love it. No, we have a long way to go. Absolutely. And, you know, why we do this, I know I'm at a point in my life now, is you want to share with the newer folks, right? There's a whole generation of new um, coders, wannabe coders. Um, they're trying to get their first job, perhaps, what to do. Um, you know, so these types of podcasts where I can bring on guests with a, you know, vast array of experiences and um, jobs can actually help those of us that are new um, kind of decide where would they like to go. There are so many options. You don't just have to be a strict line coder, you know, and just do production coding day after day for the rest of your life. Um, you are able to pivot um, and make strategic choices in your career um, for where you see your strengths align. So it's incredible. I love your viewpoint. Thank love you. It. Appreciate love it. it. 
Love it. Now, um, let me move on to my next question for you here. And it's going to hopefully um, register with you in particular about, you know, the vast levels of fraud, waste and abuse that we are um, encountering in the current climate, right? So we know that the numbers that are disclosed by the OIG have totaled billions of dollars in fraud, waste and abuse in this past year alone, right? Just in 2020. That's huge. Now, I recently read a 2020 Mufuku report that revealed that they had recovered over $170 million at the criminal level and almost $900 million at the civil. So, you know, I know that there are so many factors that are involved when you when you are the ones looking at the data, right? And you really dig into it, you know, but over the years um, in the work that I've performed and what I've actually seen, I think a lot of it has to do with the volume, right? It's the volume for the types of services that are there. Um, and I know that you've heard my voice loud and clear on LinkedIn. I'm all about, you know, trying to be proactive compliance, um, trying to teach our providers that we need to develop proactive compliance programs to help protect yourself, right? Um, but I really want to hear your voice. What is it you would like to see happen to reduce these ridiculous levels of fraud, waste, and abuse in coding and billing practices that we're seeing? Can you identify any process improvements that can be made? Yeah, there's, we could probably spend all day on that. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's so many things. Healthcare is just a complicated topic. I mean, I don't even think most people realize just how complicated it is. Um, you know, you're you're talking you were talking about the numbers related to you know uh, the the Medicaid fraud control unit, the Mufuku, and and the potential you know fraud out there. Uh, and thinking about it, I mean, that's really mostly just government dollars. A lot of the reports that are published just focus on dollars that are you know in the public. So there's there's that, and then you have all the private payers as well. So you've got Medicare, you've got Medicaid, you've got um, private insurance. And within all of that, there are so many nuances and variations. So different Medicaid states, you've got um, Medicare fee-for-service versus Medicare managed care. In the private world, you've got so many different product types um, and types of insurance. And then on top of that, you've got within the private payer world, um, employer groups who have their own nuances of what's considered allowable um, and what's an allowable benefit for for their group. So um, thinking about that, you know, what might be helpful to try to combat, you know, fraud, waste, and abuse is maybe a little more uniformity somehow. Um, you know, however, even without the uniformity, just being more aware of all of this, you know, if we just took all these different plans and public and private and, and put it all in one, you know, pool of information, you wouldn't get a lot of value out of that without actually understanding what's in it. So I think um, if we can't get to uniformity or more uniformity, I think it's being better educated on what those nuances are, because the more we know what goes into the data, the more we'll know how to assess it and analyze it both individually and collectively. You know, it's great if you can look at one 
set of data, whether you're looking at a provider's data or I'm looking at an entire insurance company's data. Um, but then to be able to look at it in larger pools um, together, accounting for all of those variations, nuances, I think is, is most helpful. So just having more access to more information on all of the differences, um, I think is, is, is part of it. Um, if we can't get to that uniformity piece, um, it's just, there's just too many different ways of doing it. Uh, which Absolutely. Makes it they're, they're, yeah. I mean, it's so complicated. Each payer has their own policy, all of the blues, um, all of the anthems, all of the United Healthcare's. Everybody has their own payer policy, their own manual to look at all of these multiple, multiple arenas to analyze, right? And to see, are these claims actually being um, appropriately paid? It's incredibly complex healthcare. So complicated. It really is. I mean, you could take it a step further. It's not even just the codes. It's, you know, contracts. Um, You know, I've seen some really unique provider and and employer group contracts that allow for things that you would not be considered typical or a contract that says no matter what this provider does, they can build a CPT code, even if it doesn't make sense based on the record. Um, So, Mm. you know, just so there's just so so much out there to understand that you really have to uh, kind of have to live it for a little while to have experienced some of those things that you didn't expect to be able to approach the data uh, and and be mindful of of things that may not make sense or may look like they make sense and they really don't. They <laughs> don't. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. This crazy. So <laughs> very complicated. It's unbelievable. Very. And I really don't know if this. Um, uniform approach is going to happen um, in our lifetime here in the U.S. I really don't know. But yeah, it's it's a challenge. I mean, I think, you know, even just keeping the system the way it is, there could still be more uniformity in just policies. Uh, I think, you know, I could see it more coming up with policy uniformity uh, or something, you know, even with codes, you know, one one payer might pay this code, but another payer doesn't. Uh, it's it's just, there's just so many differences. It's, you could probably write a book about it. So many variables, right. Or when a payer says that they follow the Medicare guidelines, but then when you really dig in line by line, you realize they actually aren't. I've witnessed that so many times for specific payers. Very complicated. Yeah. Very complicated. Well, Sometimes the guidelines are complicated. So to be fair to both payers and providers, yes, uh, on 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 all sides of of the equation, and sometimes just the the, the policies and procedures are just complicated themselves to even understand them. Correct, absolutely. Or what about those third party administrators, right, who end up processing claims? That's another whole topic, another whole complex conversation that can be had. So you're right. There are yes. so many different nuances. Yes, very it's complicated. complicated. <laughs> Just amazing insights, Karen. Amazing, amazing. All right, now um, it's almost time for you to leave us, unfortunately. Um, so, for my last question, what are you still striving for? Where am I going to see Karen Weintraub in the next five years? 
Yeah, um, still fighting fraud. I mean, hopefully, awesome. hopefully, still making awesome. an impact. Uh, you know, as as personally and 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 the company that I'm, you know, that I that I work for, Healthcare Fraud Shield. I mean, we our goal is just to keep doing more. And and there's with the evolving, um, you know, landscape of healthcare and healthcare fraud. Um, so it's not just the fraud aspect; it's healthcare in general. We have to keep evolving. So I foresee potential changes in this industry um, just based on how, you know, folks are doing things, how they pay claims, um, how how uh, codes can be changing. And so always trying to be up to date on that and just doing more and better and to do things faster. I think that's the other thing. I know uh, many people talk about prepayment versus postpayment. Uh, you know, obviously, pay and chase is is difficult. So, you know, shifting more into using different types of analytics, both um, both AI and as well as different types of patterns and, and rules, using them, uh, using both, I think is very important. Uh, and being able to do that on a prepayment and still have to monitor things postpayment in case something slips through the cracks that, that someone didn't catch. Um, so I just, I foresee just more in this area and I, and I think we're going to continue to evolve and to grow and I think continue to make an impact um, in, in this field. I love it. I love it. I'm excited to see how far you can go in this space. I love it. It's perfect. We are too. There's still a lot more to do. Lots more work to be done. I know. I love it. It's good. It's good. Now, Karen, where can my listeners find you? I know we might share some of the same people, but um, for all the others, where uh, can can we find you? Sure. Um, so I'm easy to find me on LinkedIn. Uh, although there is another Karen Weintraub that if you Google, she, she well, writes articles. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> be mindful. I'm not the one who who's the journalist. Um, so that one's not me. Um, <laughs> But uh, so not only my my LinkedIn, but um, as you noted earlier, we also have a podcast. It's under our, our company name, Healthcare Fraud Shield. Uh, you can find it on all the typical mediums that I think yours is on as well. Anchor, Google, um, Spotify, uh, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast. Might be missing one. Radio Apple. Public. Apple. I don't know if I'm on Apple. Yeah, I'm not on Apple. Yeah, that one we're not on. Oh, you're not on uh, Apple? Okay. No. Yeah, that's for some reason I it doesn't go to Apple. Uh, may I look into that though? <laughs> I'm a droid person, so that's probably why. Okay. I, so you're on Google more. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Well, excellent. I'm going to make sure that I put everything in my show notes. So everyone has those specific details. Um, amazing, Karen. I just wanted to thank you so much for your time with me today. And you're welcome to come back anytime. You have some important news you want to share, what's going on in this space of fraud, waste, and abuse. More than welcome to come on back. Thank you. And, and you are welcome to be a guest on ours. And then your compliance piece, I think, is also valuable for, for our listeners as well. I love it. I love it, Karen. Thanks so much. So I'll see you next time. Great. Thank you. And now it's time for my best practice tips. In trusty tip, let's dive into my compliance tips here in part 15 of my smirk audits that are blasting in across the country. Remember, these are a part of the 16 new Unified Program Integrity Contractor, the UPIC audits that are being conducted via the Supplemental Medical Review Contractor, the SMIRC at Noridian. Their function is to conduct nationwide medical reviews of parts A, 
B, and DME providers and suppliers as directed by CMS. It's the responsibility of the SMERC to review medical records and related documentation to ensure that claims are processed in accordance with CMS guidelines. Now, I provided you with details for 14 current SMERC audits in prior episodes that involves durable medical equipment supplies in non-covered SNFs, spinal cord stimulators, outpatient hyperbaric oxygen therapy, diabetic testing strips, polysomnography, inpatient rehabilitation facility, skilled nursing facilities, specimen validity, therapeutic shoes for diabetics, intravenous immune globulin, botulinum toxins, DRG for thyroid, parathyroid and thyroglossal procedures, TENS units, and transferaminal epidural injections that are current audits in the SMERC's spotlight. So let's get into what else is new in part 15 of SMERC audits. So the 15th is titled 01-036, Hospice Portfolio, Notification of Medical Review. Now, Noridian SMERC is conducting post-payment review of claims for Medicare hospice claims billed on dates of service from January 1st, 2018 through December 31st of 2019. Remember, these are the time parameters. Now, this notification will also include the reasons for the review, documentation that will be requested in the additional documentation request letter, the ADR, as well as resources that providers and suppliers may wish to consult with as they're submitting their claims. Now, why on earth is this smirk audit happening, right, for the hospice setting? Why, oh why? So let's get into some background details. Now, the Office of Inspector General, of course, that's our OIG, conducted a report back in July of 2018, which is titled Vulnerabilities in the Medicare Hospice Program Affect Quality Care and Program Integrity, an OIG portfolio. Now, in this portfolio, they disclose their findings, and there are three pretty big findings. First, they find that hospices frequently bill Medicare for a higher level of care than patients actually need. Second, the OIG found also that Medicare patients receiving hospice services in the assisted living facility or the ALF setting had a higher prevalence of ill-defined diagnoses or ones that are not as specific as required and an increased length of stay compared with patients receiving hospice services in other settings. And finally, third, the OIG found that there are hospices that do not provide all levels of care, but instead, and in fact, they're only billing and providing for routine home care, or RHC, for all patients they serve. So CMS, of course, subsequently instructed Noridian SMERC to conduct data analysis and related medical review activities on hospice claims in the ALF setting to address the three areas of OIG concern in calendar year 2018 to be collectively known as phase two. And concurrently, they want Noridian SMERC to also conduct further analysis and related review activities for hospices that do not provide all levels of care for calendar year 2019. And they want that to be known as phase three. So, of course, the reasons for this review are critical, right? So, 
In total, Noridian Smirk will be reviewing these three OIG findings in what they're calling phase two and phase three. And even further, they want to narrow it down in scope in terms of their claim sample details. So of course, this scope involves Noridian Smirk performing their data analysis and conducting medical review activities. Noridian Smirk will complete their data analysis and review activities in accordance with applicable statutory, regulatory, and sub-regulatory guidance. They are honing in on Revenue Codes 0651 for RHC or Routine Home Care and 0652 for CHC or Continuous Home Care. Now, moreover, they're diving deeper and wanting to look at five additional HCPCS codes. So the first HCPCS code under scrutiny is HCPCS code Q5001, which is defined as hospice or home health care provided in a patient's home. The second HCPCS code under scrutiny is HCPCS code Q5002, which is defined as hospice or home health care provided in an assisted living facility. The third HCPCS code under scrutiny is HCPCS code Q5003, which is defined as hospice or home health care provided in long-term care or non-skilled nursing facility. The fourth HCPCS code under scrutiny is HCPCS code Q5009, which is defined as hospice or home health care provided in place not otherwise specified. And the fifth and final HCPCS code under scrutiny is HCPCS code Q5010, which is defined as hospice or home health care provided in a hospice facility. Now, of course, we're not done yet, right? There are still those pesky documentation requirements as well. So I'm going to go over a list of six specific, very specific documentation requirements that will be in your ADR letter. These are the items that you will have to furnish to support your claims for hospice that have already been paid, right? Now that you're under this post-payment SMERC audit. Now, the first documentation requirement is going to be that hospice election statement, otherwise known as a notice of election, that NOE, which is going to be relevant to the date of service or dates of service under review. And be mindful to include the documentation to support whether the patient's chosen attending physician is in fact a member of the hospice physician group as applicable. The second documentation requirement is for that certification or certifications of terminal illness or CTI that covers the date of service or dates of service under review. And again, be mindful and include that face-to-face -face encounter attestation statement as it's applicable to the certification periods during which the CHC care was provided. Now, the third documentation requirement is going to be for that hospice plan of care or POC that covers the days of service, as well as supporting any changes in the level of care. And be mindful to include those dates, the reasons for the change, and interventions and the patient's response and collaborations between the hospice, as well as with other agencies and other caregivers. The fourth documentation requirement involves all the documentation to support the level of care provided for the date of service or the dates of service under review. And be mindful 
this should include, but it's not limited to, the visit notes, the progress notes, the consultation notes, the assessments, the treatment records, the medication administration records, and the discharge summaries as applicable. And remember to include the documentation to support the duration of direct care provided and by which disciplines for any units of continuous home care build, if that's applicable. And the fifth documentation requirement is for copies of any written notices provided to the patient. Examples could be that ABN or that Advanced Beneficiary Notice of Non-Coverage. And the sixth and final documentation requirement must be for those valid clinician signatures. And be sure to include those signature attestations and signature logs if those clinicians' signatures are simply illegible. Okay, so I know firsthand that hospices are currently being targeted in so many post-payment audit reviews. And now we have this Noridian smirk that's involved as well. The patient population here is what's critical to note, right? These patients are almost at end of life. They are choosing, they're electing hospice care. So we must do better to reflect the continued medical necessity to support the levels of care being administered. So remember, these post-payment audits are a sign, right? They're a signal that something may be amiss in your documentation, your coding, and your billing. These six requirements are a very good reminder that you should be making checklists and improving workflows and efficiencies at your hospice to ensure all documentation is being captured, coding and billing are compliant for all applicable statutory and regulatory guidelines. So a better, smarter approach is one that's proactive and starts by painting a clear, rich, and vibrant medical picture the first time so your certified medical coder can then abstract codes with accuracy. And finally, in this week's inspiring quote in Spark, is from the world's beloved Persian poet and scholar, Rumi. When setting out on a journey, do not seek advice from someone who never left home. Absolutely true, right? I think this is a profound note on journeys, and I agree wholeheartedly. We are drawn to those who have the experience, those who have gone out before us. We set our sights on those we admire. Why do we admire them? I think it's because they appear to have it all. All the bells and whistles, the success, the fame, the fortune. But I want us all to be able to dig a bit deeper, really build relationships, and listen to their stories, to their journeys. When we do, we hear they have tread the uneasy and often difficult path, right? They show us that there is no path without hardship thrown in. We have a lifetime ahead of us and the wisdom of others to retain and rejoice in. I am happy Rumi's spark still burns brightly in all of us today. So that wraps up today's episode. Please go out and make this a great day, an incredible week for yourselves. Aim a little higher, do a little more, and give back in any way you can in 2021. 
There's so much each one of us can do. As always, I appreciate you diving into today with me. And if you want more information from me, go ahead and follow me on LinkedIn. I'll leave links to everything in the show notes below. Please continue staying safe and healthy, practice safety for one and all during our collective life in the time of coronavirus. Thank you for listening in on today's very special episode. And I hope every week with me brings you closer to helping your providers paint a masterpiece. See you next Wednesday.